every generation there is a chosen podcast. It alone will analyze the subtext, the allegory, and the clever Whedon-esque dialogue. It is Conversations with Dead People. Welcome to Conversations with Dead People, a post-mortem podcast on the works of Joss Whedon. My name's Paul, and I'm your host, and I am typically joined by guests from the worlds of fandom and academia as we make our way through the critically acclaimed series Buffy the Vampire Slayer and its spin-off series Angel. Uh, this week we've made it as far as Buffy episodes 510 Into the Woods and 511 Triangle, uh, and talking with me tonight back again uh, for the first time since Pangs, I believe, is when you were on last time, is uh, Jessica Houch, a PhD student at Stony Brook University, contributor to Slayage, the Journal of Whedon Studies, and I'm excited to say fellow Spuffy fan, Jessica, <laughs> welcome back. How's it going? Good, good. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, anytime a, a Spuffy fan wants to come on the show, all they need to do is reach out, and you have a oh. you have an open invitation. That's I'm kidding. Great. I'm kidding. I'm always looking for uh, for more people to fan girl slash boy over Spike with. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Jessica, it's been it's been a minute since you were on the show. Uh, has anything changed in uh, in your little bio there? Have you got anything coming up that I didn't mention? Um, so I do have a book chapter coming up in the um, fan phenomena Harry Potter book, which will be out in October. Okay. Um, and the title of the chapter is Buffy Hamilton and Jon Snow go to Hogwarts literary affordance in the Hogwarts houses as interpretive framework and rhetorical tool. Wow. That is a mouthful, but you had, uh, you mentioned Hamilton in there. I did. <laughs> which means even though, all right. So this could this could open up an entire new level <laughs> of shaming me uh, publicly. But uh, as of this date, I have still never read a word of Harry Potter. Oh, no, really? Really. And I've <laughs> only seen the first film. Um, this is a thing that many, many people uh, condemn me for and try to burn me at the stake. But um, regardless, I am a Hamilton super fan uh, I'm about to, I'm about to, my wife and I are about to go see it for the sixth time. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, um, I'm, I will probably be reading that despite my complete ignorance of anything Harry Potter. Well, you can see fan debates about whether Hamilton is in Slytherin, Gryffindor, or Ravenclaw. It's a pretty uh, contentious. <laughs> okay. All right. So that's the, that's the, uh. I mean, that kind of ties into the whole Spuffy or Bangel thing, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe a little bit? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's awesome. And when you said October? Yep, October uh, 15th, it looks like it's dropping. Okay, very cool. I will, um, if there is a, if there's a link for that that I can get from you before I publish, I'll include the link in the show notes. 
Otherwise, at the end of the show, I'll just have you repeat that title since it was it was a mouthful. I know. Oh, that's academic. Academic titles yeah. are, always are. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh no! Can you hear that horrible noise? No. No. She stopped. <laughs> there's a there's some empty bags over here, and my cat has decided she's going to dig through them. Good timing. <laughs> Good timing, Amber. All right. So. Uh, that was her telling me that I have to give the spoiler warning before we start talking about the shows. So uh, for new listeners, Conversations with Dead People is not a typical rewatch and review podcast. Uh, we're going to be exploring the plots, characters, and themes of each episode in depth and within the context of the series as a whole. That means spoilers and a lot of them. So I recommend if you haven't already watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series all the way through at least once, press pause, go do that, come back and find us later. We'll still be here. Uh, and with that... Out of the way, Jessica, if you're ready, let's go to work. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to start with, uh, well, we can start however you want, but typically uh, we would be starting with episode 510, Into the Woods, um, which, yeah, I'm just going to give a heads up. Uh, before we started recording, I, I was telling Jessica that, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much I'm going to have to say about these episodes. Uh, Jessica, you're in the unfortunate position of following my uh last discussion which covered fool for love so it's all downhill for me from here uh fool for love is like the high watermark of the show for me and so now we're into post fool for love episodes and i'm like eh, all right into the woods sure so where i'm going with this is i don't know if i have a lot to say about into the woods and jessica assured me that there is some stuff <laughs> there is some conversation material here <laughs> that could happen so i'm gonna let you start us off uh, Jessica, what are your thoughts on Into the Woods? Um, well, so this is a Marty Noxon episode, right? It, it is. This is written uh, and directed, right? Uh, written and directed. This is her first uh, double billing, her first writer director uh, mm -hmm. billing. And I'm I'm famously not the biggest Marty Noxon fan, but that's all right. That's all right. But you are you are a Riley defender. Right? I am, I am I tend to be a Riley defender. Yes. So how are you feeling about Riley exiting the, sh the show? I'm, um, <clears throat> so <laughs> I am frustrated. One of my big pop culture pet peeves is the notion. And, uh, I think it's possible that Buffy the Vampire Slayer started me down this pet peeve path. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the notion that in pop culture you cannot tell um, compelling dramatic stories if there are uh, healthy, long-lasting romantic relationships <laughs> being portrayed on screen. Uh, there are so many works of pop culture that feel like if there's a romantic couple in the story and they are happy, you cannot tell a dramatic story with that. You have to mess them up. You have to pull apart any sort of romantic connections in order to mind the drama. And Buffy, mm -hmm. my perception of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joss Whedon in, in particular, actually, um, is that that's a dramatic hook that this show hangs itself on repeatedly, and it's super frustrating. Plus, I tend to be a Riley defender. And so I'm... The way he goes out is pretty, pretty sudden, but um, I guess is the best that I could have hoped for for Riley. The fact that he has to go out at all is just frustrating 
to me. The fact that the show had to pull this and that the defense that the writers use, like Marty has been quoted as saying that um, love just doesn't work in the, on the Hellmouth or whatever, like in the world of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, love doesn't last. And so, and Riley, at, at least she calls Riley a good guy. I believe in the quote, she says, you know, he was such a good stand up guy that he was boring. And so we had to get rid of him. But uh, I mean, still, it's just frustrating that so, so many writers feel like, oh, this story is boring because these characters are happy. Well, as someone, anybody who's been married for any length of time will tell you there is still plenty of drama involved in a long lasting romantic relationship. That's true. Um, I think part of that is just our kind of understanding of narrative, the narrative of romance, right? That comes from the romance genre. Mm -hmm. So that those stories tend to end with the heterosexual union, right? We can see that going even as far back to fairy tales. I mean, they lived happily ever after. We don't care what happens after they get together. It's the them getting together part right. that's interesting. Right. So I think that uh, that's part of the reason, right, why it's hard to imagine. And, and some shows do that, right? Um, but there always has to be, I guess, some sort of, even in married couples, some sort of drama, yeah. right? Well, Jessica, I think the more important question is, how do you feel about Riley at this, by this point, by this episode? So I've never been a big Riley fan. Uh -huh. um, and I really um, dislike him during season five. Okay. So... <laughs> Uh, I'm very happy to see him leave when he gets on that little helicopter to fly <laughs> off to Belize. Um, I'm I'm very happy he doesn't like look down, which would have solved yeah. a, a lot of problems yeah. for them. Well, okay, that's fair enough. Um, I I can't remember. I I don't know. Well, I had forgotten if you had told me on your previous. Uh, appearance, which you probably did because uh, last time you were on, it was season four. Riley was in the mix. I'm mm -hmm. sure I had said some defensive things about Riley. So you probably did tell me you're not a Riley fan, but I had forgotten that. So I really thought the, our, our point of discussion on these episodes was just going to be our shared spike love, but, um, but no, look, we can engage with the Riley stuff here. So <laughs> why? Um, well, how do you think they handled the exit of Riley it sounds like um, they really just doubled down on the stuff you don't like about Riley. And so good riddance. Yeah. Um, so throughout the episode, what bothers me the most about Riley is that he, his main, and so he has one legitimate gripe, which is that Buffy is not as invested in the relationship um, as he is, right? And we see this, we've been seeing this throughout the season uh, from the moment that she gets up in Buffy versus Dracula mm -hmm. from their bed, right? This kind of symbol of their relationship and goes out, right? She's unsatisfied with the relationship. Uh, she's not as invested in it. We get a reiteration of that in this episode and the conversation that she has with her mother mm -hmm. um, where she, they're talking about, you know, her mom's like, you should go spend some time with Riley. And she's like, eh, I'll, I'll see him, right? I can see him anytime. Right. Uh, so there yeah, even, is... even Joyce gives a little look at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that is, I think, a, a legitimate complaint that Riley has. Right. But there's this other component of his 
response to Buffy in this episode, which is that it seems that he's upset that she's not more upset in front of him so that he can be the good guy and take care of her. Right. And so it's not about how Buffy is feeling. It's in so much as it's how Buffy is making Riley feel. Right. Even though Buffy is the one who is going through this kind of trauma and grief and emotional work with her, her mother. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of what I don't like about him uh, in general. And especially in this episode, it comes to the fore. Um, so I don't think you're wrong there. I mean, that, that's definitely, that's definitely all there on screen. I, um, even I kind of cringed a little bit at that. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's a couple layers for me, at least there's a couple things that play into why I'm still able to like, that doesn't, uh, destroy the character of Riley for me entirely. Uh, one of them is is an in fiction reason. It's a, it's a storytelling character driven reason. And the other is a behind the scenes reason. The in fiction reason would be that, um, nobody here really is thinking clearly, uh, like these emotions are really high. Uh, Riley, I'm not entirely sure Riley has ever fully recovered from all the stuff that the initiative did to him. So Mm -hmm. like, I don't think since he since he defected or whatever, since he went AWOL, I don't know what term to use here, but like since he went cold turkey off of all the stuff the initiative was doing to him, I don't know if he's ever really been like fully together since then. Um, But that might be an excuse. Um, Well, I mean, I think, I think you're right. Right. So I think um, when he was with the initiative, he had this identity that he was uh, the the super soldier Riley guy. Right. mm -hmm. Um, And then now that the initiative is gone, it's not a part of his life. It's not a part of his identity. Now, really, all he has is the "aw shucks, I'm a good guy" identity, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's kind of the core of who he is. And I think that he does, on some level, and it might even be subconsciously, resent Buffy for not letting him perform that identity in their relationship because she's not allowing him to be there and to comfort her right in the opening scene they're sitting together and they're separate i did i did notice they were facing away from each other yeah Mm -hmm. you know she she has dawn's head in her lap um and she's kind of gently stroking dawn's hair so there's that physical connection there but with riley it's not and i i think even when they get the good news and they're hugging um she hugs dawn first right so she's prioritizing dawn over Riley. Mm-hmm. This is a thing that has, uh, like this complaint or this this analysis of Riley as being like he just needs to be the protector and and uh, he's insecure with the fact that Buffy doesn't need to be protected. Uh, that comes up a lot in fandom and it comes up on the show. It's been referenced on the show before. I I don't know that it's a hundred percent fair. Like, I feel like that element is definitely there. And in this mm-hmm. episode, when he's talking with Buffy, he even says, she says, you can't handle that. I'm stronger than you or whatever. And he kind of sighs and says, yeah, it's difficult at times, but mm-hmm. that's not what's going on here. I feel like that is the truth. Like, I, I don't think people are even in fiction and even in fiction, like Buffy, the vampire slayer that is heavily uh, coded to metaphor or whatever. Um, I don't think it's fair to boil 
people or characters down to just one thing. And so um, Riley has some problematic stuff about him. He he uh, has been part of the military industrial complex, which is very um, masculine and, and misogynistic. And so he's got that in his background. But we've also seen lots of examples of Buffy, uh, of, of Riley being like the good guy and um, at least on the surface seeming to understand and accept who and what Buffy is and this world that she lives in. Like I, I personally, as a Riley defender, feel like we've seen at least as much positive stuff about Riley as we've been shown negative stuff. Um, and so um, some of my issue maybe a lot of my issue isn't necessarily with the, with how the character is treated on the show. Like I, I it annoys me. It, it pushes my pet peeve buttons um, that they had to break up the relationship and get rid of him, but it's, it's fiction. I'm used to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. This was inevitable. <laughs> it was always going to happen. Um, but really it's the years and years of, of hearing the fan base talk about how he is just like the worst character ever. And he never should have been on the show and, and they can't stand Riley. And, and, you know, I hope he gets eaten by the hell mouth or whatever and stuff like that. And I'm like, guys, come on. Like he's not just cause he wasn't angel. doesn't mean he was the worst character ever, but Oh, yeah. I mean, Spike is a much more toxic character, <laughs> yeah. as we see in this episode, uh, which we can talk about later, I guess. But uh, um, but I want to hear your out-of-universe reason, because you said you had two. Well, so when I was talking with uh, Michael Holland, either last episode or the episode before, whenever it was that we were talking about um, Fool for Love, um, the so Michael asked me about my feelings. He was trying to be non-spoilery even though I say that this podcast is spoilery as hell. So he was referencing uh, the upcoming plot line in uh, Seeing Red. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was like, so, you know, how do you feel about Spike in light of that stuff? And and uh, I explained um, very briefly and incompletely, I explained that uh, I'm super, super frustrated that that thing, that that particular event had to happen at all, because in large part, if I remember correctly, at the time, the writers and producers, the people behind the scenes, the writers mostly were saying that that was a deliberate attempt on their part to remind the audience that Spike is actually a bad guy and you're not supposed to be rooting for him because they felt like the fan base had gotten a little too pro Spike. And they claimed that their mission statement all along had been to prove that Spike is not a good guy. You shouldn't like him. And they weren't getting there, and so they decided we will have Spike do something completely evil and irredeemable. I mean, this is in spite of the fact that the storyline went on to come to redeem him. But at the at the time, the writers made it sound like we wanted Spike to do something so awful that nobody would ever forgive him for it. And I was like, that is the most disingenuous and manipulative thing that I've heard these writers say, and it does not fit with the character arc not that i don't think the character in that moment was capable of that but their statement on making that decision didn't fit with what i thought i had been seeing in the character of spike all the way up to that point and uh i feel that this riley stuff particularly this episode is almost kind of a microcosm of that i think mm -hmm. 
like they certainly haven't been hiding the fact that not everybody is a Riley fan. Um, and it's, this is not nearly as extreme as seeing red, but it still feels a little bit, I mean, they still threw Graham and the initiative back in. Um, I mean, they've been, the initiative has been hovering around the edges, but still they just threw the initiative in and said, Oh, we've got the secret mission. You want to join us? And then within 10 minutes, Riley's like, yeah, they, they want me back. I'm going to, I'm going to go join. Yeah. So I was, I'm always excited to see Graham. I just, I wonder what that man's internal life is like because he just seems to sit around and look handsome most (laughs) of the time. I think this is the last time you get to see him. Oh, it's a shame. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So, and so in addition, right. So there, there's kind of layer upon layer of, of Riley, uh, problematics in the, in this episode, right? Because we also have the metaphor for drugs or sex work. It's kind of unclear, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I think maybe a combination of the two. Right. Um, and certainly when he's getting bit by the female vampire, and he, you know, he's saying harder. It's there's a lot of sexual coding there. But then yeah, he's also it, it looks it looks like a drug den, but Buffy refers to the refers to her as a whore. So yeah, it's it's right. coded both ways. Yeah. Yeah, and and when he's like talking to Graham and the government general guy, um, Riley looks kind of like strung out, right? He's kind of sweaty and pale. They like emphasize the the bags under his eyes, mm-hmm. um, and I think that either when Giles and Anya are talking to Buffy about the kind of history of these sorts of places, um, I believe there's a mention of humans getting addicted yeah. to it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, Giles says that the kind of the thrill, the danger can become addictive. Uh, a kind of interesting callback to Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, right? Um, where we can see how those kinds of thrills get it, get addictive and can become dangerous. Um, so there's that element of it too, which Xander, uh, who is a Riley fan, so you're not alone. Uh, <laughs> is this why I've suddenly softened on Xander? Because he's taking up for Riley? Is that what's going maybe, on? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Xander completely overlooks that when he talks to Buffy about it which i do want to talk about that scene too uh because i get very angry with xander in that scene oh this is fascinating so many people who even aren't xander fans hold that hold that moment up as one of like his his great moments but all right go ahead yeah oh good yeah no i guess i have a contrary opinion that's awesome i love contrary opinions i get very annoyed at him um and then then there's also the ultimatum that he that Riley gives Buffy and that scene between the two of them in the training room where he's like I want to talk about this and she says no I can't talk to you about this right now and he's demanding that they talk about it you know at this point she is the more wronged party right he's lied to her and cheated on her uh you know, he tries to draw a false equivalency with what happened with uh, Dracula. And we do get some visual cues of that. You know, he leaves the bed. Yeah, I, I did. I did want to talk about that, how this is kind of a bookend to the whole Dracula thing. Yeah. Um, so him wearing the stupid turtleneck, um, covering the bite in the same way that Buffy wore her stupid scarf. Right. 
Uh, bad cho- fashion choices all around. <laughs> well, that's a thing that Joe does. <laughs> yeah. Um, not as bad as Anya's fashion choice at the end of the episode. We can talk about that too. Um, I think my notes just are like, what is she wearing? I've n- Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember what she was wearing. You'll have Her to tell like us. little silky pink frilly pajamas. Oh, oh, oh when Xander is, is making his declaration to her. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember. It was it was some sort of nightgown robe thing. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. Um, but anyway, so there is, I think, uh, a parallel being drawn there, but it's not really the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Buffy was under Dracula's thrall, mm-hmm. um, so she's well, not. There's some question about how much of the thrall she was under, but yes, I get what you're saying. Right, yeah. uh, she's at least under some thrall, right? So consent is at least complicated there, whereas. Riley is seeking this out um, and, and multiple times too, right? This wasn't just a one-time thing. Uh, this has become a pattern of behavior for him. Uh, and then and then he gives her this ultimatum, which if she's, she needs to work through her pain, which is coming on top of all of this, you know, the additional stressors in her life, if she's not ready to have that conversation with him, she's not ready. Um, and him attempting to force her to have that conversation and to make a decision about their relationship in that moment, uh, I think is a, a pretty kind of crappy thing to do. I, I would agree with that. I feel like it's crappy in a realistic way. Um, where, uh, I feel like arguments like this, uh, um, romantic arguments where the tension, where emotions are really high and neither side is perhaps thinking clearly. I think ultimatums like this come out a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I wish that I had paid better attention and done more research. Um, because one thought I did have watching that is that, um, whatever my personal feelings on the situation may be, uh, Buffy is at least behaving in a more mature manner with this breakup than she did <laughs> during the like angel breakup, which makes sense. She was, she was a teenager in high school at that point, And now she's, I don't know what she is, I guess still a teenager, <laughs> mm-hmm. but she's a college. There's a maturity uh, between that relationship and this relationship. And I noticed that and I appreciated it. Um, but even so, regardless of your age, it's still possible for these sorts of situations to cause people to say things they don't mean. That's a that is a truism. When people are upset and hurt and angry, they'll say stuff that they don't necessarily mean. And so, I feel like it's believable. Plus, there's the fact that the that uh, the mil- I was going to say the initiative, but it's the military. That Graham literally had just popped up and said, "Hey, we're leaving tonight. If you want to go, you got to go." So <laughs> he kind well, of they're... had that ready-made sort of time. <laughs> timeline set for him and he did use it to his advantage granted and that that was a thing to do but i feel like it was shitty in a in a i'm gonna have to bleep that out <laughs> okay yes i said crappy i wasn't sure yeah no you you were right i was wrong that, it is crappy and it is but it, i feel like it was a realistically crappy thing in that moment so um oh but i was gonna say i wish that i had looked back more closer at like the last time buffy was going through something like this not parker that doesn't count but with the whole angel thing um, when she was younger and slightly less mature. um, I I'm almost positive. She was throwing out ultimatums. I feel like Buffy is a character who does throw out ultimatums from time to time. And I think in the whole, 
when when she and Angel were going through stuff, I feel like she probably threw that out. You know, if if you want me, you have to be with me right now or whatever. So I just feel like that's a thing that people do in this situation. It does make it right, but I, it it shouldn't necessarily ruin a character for us if they if they say something like that in a moment like this. Okay, that, I mean that's fair. Um, I mean, if it I'm does, not, if it know. does, what? I, if it does, I'm not trying. I don't. I don't want to <laughs> tell you not to feel about Riley the way you feel, but it's it's just. Um, I don't know. It that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily ruin. Hey, look, my biases. I acknowledge my biases. I really try. <laughs> I really try to own my biases on this show, and obviously, I'm biased slightly for Riley and and slightly against Buffy. So that's, that's just I mean... that's just where I am. Yeah, that's fair. And I am biased against Riley, right? So yeah, I'm going yeah. to interpret everything he does in the worst possible way. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, it is interesting that Buffy does not break up with him mm-hmm. until he he kind of, I think, through the ultimatum, forces her into it. Does she ever? Well, she doesn't get there to the helicopter in time. Right. So. Right. Yeah. But I don't think she ever says, "Okay, this is over." Right. Yeah. Um, that's not a thing that she ever decides. Right. In, in fact, she's she's still suffering from not getting to make that choice in the next episode in a really campy, over the top way, but still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, again, I don't think I don't blame Riley entirely for that relationship ending. Hmm. Um. Because I think Buffy, you know, Buffy wasn't giving Riley what he needed in mm-hmm. the relationship. Yeah. And that's something that sometimes happens in relationships. But Riley also handled himself very poorly, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if if someone is not, if you're in a relationship with someone and they're not giving you the emotional support or reciprocation that you need out of the relationship um your best course of action is to have a conversation about it or break up with that person it's not to go to a vampire brothel well it's the hellmouth you do you do weird things <laughs> on the hellmouth. Uh, so we there's another character we desperately need to talk about in this episode but before we get there since you've we, we've already talked about xander let's well we should we talk more about xander well you wanted to specifically we should talk about his no he's got two speeches let's talk about his sort of two speeches since okay since i'm 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 fully prepared to go back to xander bashing i've i've commented that xander gets beat up uh terribly on this podcast um i feel like recently just in like the first half of season five uh he's he's he seems like a much better, more mature, more it's, I hate using this word, but more useful, more purposeful Mm -hmm. character. Um, I hold that this episode continues that trend. You do not. So let's go, let's get into it. His two little speeches. Right. So the speech that he makes to Buffy, where he basically mansplains her relationships to her, Mm -hmm. um, what I don't like about the relationship or the speech is that he doesn't fault Riley at all for anything Riley's done. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he doesn't acknowledge that Riley has behaved poorly and has hurt Buffy. Um, you know, he says he's never held back with you. He's risked it all. And you're about to let him fly because you don't like ultimatums. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be really kind of whitewashing Riley's behavior in the past few episodes uh, in a way that is really troublesome to me um, because he's basically just laying the blame entirely on Buffy. And I, I don't think that's fair. Okay, let's see. My, I guess my counterpoint to that would be that, well, it helps that Xander says some stuff. Okay, no, at the very top, it just helps that Xander, um, he, until this sort of recent bout of maturity, Xander has not been the guy that gives these relatively cogent, like responsible lectures to people. He's just not that guy. And I've appreciated seeing that side of him. I'm almost positive that that does not last. He eventually, (laughs) he backslides into the Xander that we can all uh, look at 20 years later and say, oh man, what's wrong with you? But um, for the moment, I feel like it's just nice to see him acting a little more like adult and responsible. Now, as to the content of this particular speech that he gives her, I guess my counterpoint would be that he he doesn't have an opportunity to talk, not opportunity, because I'm sure the opportunity has existed, but we're not seeing him talk to uh, Riley. If he had the same relationship with Riley that he does with Buffy, it's entirely possible that he would go and have a similar, you know, uh, come to Jesus moment or whatever. He would go and have a talk with Riley and he might be saying the same kind of things to Riley, um, in Buffy's defense, possibly. Now we, we never see that on camera. So that's just me speculating, but how I read this moment is he's much closer with Buffy than he is with Riley. Um, Buffy is the one that he is talking to in the moment and (laughs) He's he's got a short amount of time to kind of get his point across. And some of the things that he's saying actually kind of mirror thoughts that I was going to say we, the audience, but I will say I, this particular <laughs> audience, have been thinking along uh, along the way. Um, yeah, in, in hindsight and from our perspective, 20 years on, uh, he, he doesn't say it in the most um, respectful manner, but I still feel like... This is him saying uh, uncomfortable truths to his closest friend, one of his closest friends um, in a high tension moment. I don't know. That's that's my sort of counterpoint to that. Sure. And I, t- I totally agree that he is uh, making that he is speaking truth to Buffy. Right. Everything that he says about Buffy and the way that she's been treating Riley, especially in season five. Right. I'm not sure that this stuff holds holds up in season four Mm -hmm. um but in season five yes i would say that there are that what he's saying is true um i just i just don't like that he never reaffirms her and her feelings about about riley and about what riley's done you know he does he doesn't like i he knows she's angry Right. He's, he says, but he, what he says to her is you, you're acting like a crazy person, right? Not your anger is justified. I, you know, Mm -hmm. 
I just I really struggle unless I'm forgetting lines during that scene. I don't um, I don't think in that scene he ever he ever says anything like that. But um, right. Yeah. Um, I don't know these sorts of things. I mean, this is Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a is a metaphor laden soap opera that we the, <laughs> that we the fans get sucked into, and it it uh, deliberately takes like its whole raison d'etre up to this point. I, I've I've commented recently that it's. At this point in the series, it's drifting away from this. But up till now, its whole reason for being has been to take uh, universal experiences that we've all had growing up and to exaggerate them and make them life or death and uh, and use that to sort of engage us. And so I think we've all, as viewers, had heartbreak or been, in, been on one side or the other of, conver- of arguments like this. And so we are kind of maybe a little bit programmed to uh, play, put ourselves in this position and imagine how we would feel. And yeah. So our emotions get drawn into it just the way the characters emotions are, are kind of blown out of proportion. Absolutely. Right. And my, I know that personally kind of my background um, is influencing the way that I'm reading this mm-hmm. um, because I, so I lost my brother 12 years ago mm-hmm. Um and I know that when I was going through that, I didn't want to talk to anyone about it, right? Yeah. I was like, I wanted to just be, cry by myself. Um, I was living in a dorm at the time. So I like go into the shower and just cry so I could be by myself. Mm-hmm. So I relate to Buffy not wanting to necessarily talk to Riley about it. Um, her wanting to be alone as she's experiencing those emotions. Um, and then to have like the two two men in this episode tell her that she's wrong, right? Riley says, "I'm not blaming you," but then he goes on to blame her for being withdrawn and cold. And, cold. Um, and then that's the reason why the episode, uh, why Riley is leaving. Um, that's just again because of my personal experiences. I have a, a hard time with it. That's absolute. That's completely fair. <laughs> uh, what what about his uh so his final sort of speech his declaration to Anya at the end of the episode um like I said I feel like so many fans hold that up as one of Xander's shining moments um but you you don't fall for it huh no because I don't like the way he treats like so I when Buffy calls him out for the way that he treats Anya I absolutely agree with her um he doesn't treat her well He's constantly belittling her. Um, and I, I'm not sure that that changes so much after that speech. So that speech really feels like t- kind of too little, too late for me. Um, but again, I'm biased against Sander too, especially <laughs> okay. in recent, recent rewatches. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's all. That's what this podcast secretly is, is the anti Xander podcast. So, <laughs> it's, it's... so how, do, how do you feel about that speech? Um, I, I don't know what to say here. Um, I wasn't completely blown away by it. Like I, I, I didn't get all, all, you know, doughy eyed and I wasn't wooed by his declaration to her. Um, I respond to it more, uh, the way I've been saying that it's just, it feels refreshing. Um, on this rewatch doing this podcast, I've had so many opportunities to talk about, man, Xander really is kind of a terrible character. Why did he used to be one of my favorites? Um, and so I've, I'm just enjoying this 
I understand brief period in sort of the middle of the series where Xander seems less like a jerk and slightly more grown up and like maybe he's finding his his purpose or whatever. And so I kind of I don't know, it it felt like a moment of maturity and responsibility from him. It was a little hard to take with foresight, you know, with foreknowledge of where this is all going, but mm-hmm. um Yeah. No, that is that's that's true, right? We have hell, Hell's Bells coming up, which I think um, the next episode that we have to talk about, Triangle, the opening to that episode, is really sad in uh, in reference to... Yeah, I can't remember if there's a ticking uh, bomb clock in Hell's Bells, but it really makes me wish that there was. Yeah. I, do, I don't think there is. <laughs> I have almost no memory of Hell's Bells at all, but her their little talk in bed about the if you ever do this to me i hope there's a ticking clock that i can yeah diffuse but um anyways uh, so, uh before we move on before we get out of this we have to say stuff about spike and we're gonna say more when we get into triangle but um how, how did you feel <laughs> you're making me nervous because you keep referencing spike as a problematic character and i know that you love spike so i do okay i love a problematic male character right okay. that's because well, uh, that's Holland all of us talks about identity themes and my identity theme is that i love a problematic male character who's got a, a little bit of a soft heart but who reforms through the love of a woman right that's okay that's my jam right. i will fall for that every <laughs> single time um i blame my childhood love of beauty and the beast oh, right okay. <laughs> so i just want that relationship yeah yeah uh in every pop culture thing that i consume um Right Which, now, right now, there's at least one view, one listener. I I I'm just making this up. I don't know a person in particular, but I'm sure there's at least one listener that's like, "Oh my gosh, Beauty and the Beast is so problematic." Let's talk about Beauty and the Beast. Oh, it is. It is right. <laughs> this, this Disney really messed me up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, luckily, I don't look for it in my like real world relationships, yeah. but in my fictional relationships, like that. I I crave it. I want it. Right. It'll hook me every time. Um, so Spike is such a creep in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's like standing outside, um, listening to Buffy and Riley, as Don would say, boink. Right. right? Yeah. That's creepy. Yeah. He then he goes in Buffy's bedroom, <laughs> uh, without her knowledge or consent, uh-huh. right? Um, which, despite what Twilight would have you believe, is in fact a creepy, Isn't toxic thing to do. Not, not romantic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, um, I don't. I'm sure you've seen Jonathan Macintosh's Buffy versus Edward. Mm-hmm, yes. Yeah. So. Uh, I love the season five spike episodes get heavy, heavy rotation in that remix. Um, so the scene where he shows up in her bedroom is one of one of those. Um, so, yeah, he's a he's a real creep. Um, OK, and, no, you're right. I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not pushing back against that, but uh it's typically the people that point that kind of stuff out are the people that are pointing it out uh, to make their case. They're using this as evidence that Spike uh, re- is not really a good person. 
And this is a narrative that I'm going to continue to push back against. Listeners, you're just going to hear me say things like this a lot from now till the end of the series, probably, uh, because there are battle lines have been drawn and apparently within the writer's room as well, where some people just don't think that Spike is or can be a good person, despite evidence uh, on camera. And um, I'm just resistant to that. So I, I love the fact that you point out how problematic and creepy he can be. And yet you were still a Spike fan. So, um, yes, I can hold those two thoughts in my mind at the same time. And somehow it doesn't explode. I don't know. Right. Even aside, even leaving aside the whole Spuffy thing, which I'm like, like I've said, once the show reaches that point, once we get full on into the bike, bike, (laughs) Spike and Buffy relationship, um, we can we can talk more about this and i'll be a little more open about the fact that i i'm recognizing now 20 years later man they just are not a good fit <laughs> like they, they do not ultimately belong together but so aside no, from- i mean when i when i think of this buffy i love it's it, it comes from season seven not mm-hmm. season six yeah yeah that's the- for me season seven is their is their love story yeah um but leaving aside the romantic stuff about it, um, even if all this was, and, and for me, it really is, it's not, it actually isn't really the romance stuff. It, this is 95% of my love for Spike is the, the redemption arc concept, mm-hmm. which is a thing just like your jam is uh, problematic men that are saved by the love of a good woman. <laughs> my jam <laughs> will always be uh, dark, damaged, p- possibly evil characters that find some path towards redemption that just pushes a button in me that I cannot, <laughs> that cannot be unpushed. Um, and so Spike has always been that for me and watching him, even in moments where he's being creepy, like even his motivation for getting Buffy out of bed. Hey, are you naked under there? Even his motivation. Oh, his face, his face when he <laughs> yes. turns around. I love it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> even his motivation for showing her what's going on with Riley. Right. Yeah. He seems very confused that she's angry with him. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the next episode, which we'll get to, we can get to it now, actually, if you want to. But even so in Triangle, we see him um, struggling with what is, I believe, at least a momentary brush against genuine guilt like actual regret for what he did now yeah his problematic soulless nature makes it difficult for him to maintain that and it boils over into frustration and confusion and anger but but he you know and we see him well we'll talk about it we'll talk about it yeah before we move on to triangle i just wanted to talk about the conversation that spike and riley have yeah 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 um i don't know weird male bonding moment yeah, well, I don't know how I feel about that fake out. Um, that always strikes me as kind of cheap. Which fake out? Where Riley stabs Spike with the stake, the yeah, plastic stake. It, it was it was a good shocking moment if you're watching this with commercials. Right. <laughs> but why is he carrying a plastic stake? And where why... did he get it from? And and seriously, not that I want him to kill Spike, but at a certain point, you're like, why why wouldn't he? Like why, yeah, yeah. why go through the motions? Why wouldn't he just kill Spike at that moment? But. Right. Um, 
but the, in their conversation, I think some interesting things come up. Um, we get the kind of famous line, right? Girl needs a little monster in her man. Right. Um, which, right, Buffy, as I think as we've talked about, Buffy does have a type, yeah. right? She yeah. does. Uh, she does seem to want a little, a little monster, a little darkness in the men that she's attracted to. The wording also foreshadows the gift, um, the final episode of the season, where Spike says to her, I know you'll never love me. I know I'm a monster, but you treat me like a man. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, Buffy wants a man with some monster in him. Spike is a monster with some man. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, which I think, you know, nicely sets up where their relationship is going. Um and then just the kind of spike as the unrequited romantic, right? Where he knows that he doesn't have a shot with her. Mm-hmm. Um, but a fellow's got to do what he can, though. Got to try. He's got that. Uh, he's got that part where he talks about sometimes I envy you so much it chokes me. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think I got the better deal. That whole thing also sort of foreshadows his relationship Uh, with Buffy where he's talking about how you know how terrible it must be to be so close close to her and not have her uh to be alone even when you're holding her and then he kind of rethinks it and he's like no no you got the better deal so that's Spike acknowledging that he he will even he even wants Buffy if he can't actually have her like he 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 acknowledges that even just even the pain of being close to her and not really having her might be enough so yeah, or at least it's better than being distant from her and not right. having her, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, at least Riley has her physically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had I had noted that too that it, there was a lot of foreshadowing that Spike will get that deal, and he'll find out how how difficult that can be. Right. Um. All right. Let me scroll back up through my notes for this episode really quickly. Um. I briefly some bullet points I've got here. Was this our first time like getting to sort of casually hang out in Xander and Anya's new apartment? Oh, I don't know. I think it was. We've obviously seen the apartment before, but I feel like this is the first time where we've just had a scene of them. Oh, hanging out, playing, having game night or whatever at Xander's new apartment. Yeah. That's, I love that Anya is good at life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, I always crack up at her insistence in watching the chimp playing hockey movie. Oh man. Because ice is so slippery and monkeys are all irrational. <laughs> <laughs> and of course that is a, that I, I'm, I don't know if this has been confirmed, but that has to be a reference to MVP. Most valuable, most valuable primate, right? I, I, absolutely. Yeah. It has to be. The, the, the film that kicked off the critically acclaimed primate franchise. <laughs> Uh, what else? Oh, I had an eye roll for the candlelit guitar music, slow dancing, swaying in the living room. Um, uh, which when was that? Was, what scene with, was that? With Buffy and and Riley. Oh yeah. Instead, like, do, instead do of boinking? ever actually do that, <laughs> or is that just like a romantic coding on television? Uh, I've I, never done that. I've never done that. Okay, so in our very scientific survey, yes. A hundred percent of those polls say. <laughs> uh, that got that got a little eye rolly. Um, yeah, um, I do want to say the uh, the 
fight in the alley it barely even counts as a fight the confrontation that she has with all of the oh yes i'm so glad you brought that up because i did have a note about that that was super cool yeah so here's a question that i have what is the morality of the vampire brothel okay um because this actually seems like a fairly sustainable way for vampires to exist right and it's in the moment as i was watching it uh i don't remember my original viewing thoughts but this time around i was thinking as as giles was sort of telling buffy you know are you sure this is the best thing for you um like he was he was almost he was saying he was asking the question you're asking like you know these are vampires who those are willing victims and maybe you could focus your efforts on people who right were, i whatever. did have a, a little bit of a problem with his wording there where they're kind of willing that because then right who who deserves to be saved right um, right um especially if we're thinking about the metaphor of like drug users right um that is encoded in the show that got a little squicky yeah. uh in terms of morals there but the idea of vampires you know, and humans consenting to drinking like this, it seems like that's actually a fairly good model for how vampires could exist. See, this is where, this is where uh, politics and, and human society, <laughs> the lawyers would have to get involved because yes, uh, Anya raises a valid point where she's like, you know, vampires get uh, hot and cold running blood and they're not leaving they're not leaving bodies around, which means they aren't being hunted. And the, the mm-hmm. humans, uh, you know, it's a relatively safe exchange or whatever. Um, I I was like, well, that makes, that makes a ton of sense. Um, yeah. I, and you're I like, so why don't we, why don't um, we do this more often? I'm with the young adult series, Vampire Academy. I, I know its existence. I have not, I have not so read that. That's actually how the Maroi vampires, who are the good vampires, they're the Maroi and the Strigoi. That's how they exist, is that they have feeders or who are basically people who who Uh, sign up for. All right. Well, let me ask you that. In that series, uh, has someone legislated the whole thing and put rules and guidelines on it? Because my thought immediately after that was, um, even though this is no fun, just from a writer's point of view, I was like, okay, how does that work in the real world? Because sooner or later one of those vampires is going to lose control or whatever and start and kill people. Um, so it, will there be, is the Slayer's job to be security guard at these things and just make sure the vampires play by the rules? Or I mean, she's like the health department, yeah, right? Yeah. You come in, make Do sure occasional inspections. Legit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> make sure the vampires are using uh, fresh fangs every time or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, so in Vampire Academy, is there anything like that? Is there some sort of legislation to to keep it all safe? No, no, it's much more concerned with like teenage teenage angst. Okay, and <laughs> okay gotcha. We're not we're not worried about that. Okay. There, no, <laughs> it's not. I, that's not a recommendation for Vampire Academy. Um, <laughs> all right. I, the film is is just it's terrible, um, but I did recently read the book and watch the film for a paper I was working on. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's okay. I, but you know, I do it to myself. (laughs) I will, I will scrap plans to follow up the Buffy discussion with a vampire Academy discussion then. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend. Um, I mean, Um, is is there more to this? Do we want to want to continue talking about the morals of the, 
Well, so the the fight that you brought up in the alley for uh-huh. me that is a very dark moment for Buffy. Okay. Um, specifically when she she's dispatched all of the other vampires very quickly, and she's left with just the woman, the female vampire. Oh, yeah. Who's feeding on Riley. Right. And the costume design and the makeup for that woman, um, I think, was really well done, where she did, she looked just kind of like strung out. Yes. Right. Um, she looked not threatening, but pathetic. Right. And then she turns and runs, and Buffy stakes her through the back. Yeah. Um, and again, I, under, I understand where Buffy's anger is coming from, but she's. But this also gets into another one of my pet peeves, which is that she's blaming and punishing this woman for something Riley did. Mm-hmm. Right? This woman was never a part of their relationship. Riley went to her. Right. Um, it's you know, blaming the other woman when the person you should be blaming is, of course, Riley. <laughs> of course, <laughs> always. it doesn't matter who's in the actual relationship. Oh, always blame Riley. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for me, that was a very because Buffy. Buffy has has shown mercy right to some monsters in the past and mm-hmm. and her decision to kill this vampire struck me as as very dark. One of the reasons one of many reasons why I personally prefer Angel the series over Buffy the Vampire Slayer in the long run is that 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 kind of thing that sort of moral gray area and the concept of what, you know, who who deserves to be slain or whatever that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, is much more a predominant theme in Angel than it really is in Buffy. It, it gets touched on in Buffy, but that's sort of the, that's one of the big things that Angel explores. Um, and so, like you, I catch myself asking that question in Buffy a lot, and Buffy as a show is not necessarily interested in answering that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's where some of my frustration with Buffy comes from both the show and the character is that, uh, the, the rules of what monster deserves mercy and what monster just gets slain outright, you know, stake first, ask questions, never, um, it's, is really ambiguous and inconsistent. <laughs> and so that kind of stuff frustrates me, but. Right. Um, but I do think that, you know, having that vampire run away, she doesn't attack, like the, the sex worker vampire doesn't attack Buffy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't think she ever in that whole fight. I don't think she ever no. does anything. She's always just sitting back at the sidelines. Yeah. No, she's just being emaciated and shivering. Right. Um, and, and like I said, looking really pathetic. Um, I, I don't think we're supposed to feel good about that moment. Or at least I hope we're not. I hope the intention wasn't for us to feel good because I certainly didn't. Um, well, that's a very good point. I um, I was caught up. One of my weaknesses is fight choreography. Um, mm-hmm. Anytime when it's not done well, I can't help but notice. And when it is done well, that's all I pay attention to. So in this, I was just caught up in the fact that um, like particularly there's the moment where she stakes three of them just in rapid succession, just like. practically all at once and i was like that was that was kind of badass um but you're absolutely right um emotionally and morally that was a dark moment right and and the other when you know when she's being attacked right she has to defend herself but in in that particular case she was not being attacked yeah um okay let's um is there anything else can we move on to triangle no i mean we've talked about 
uh, an episode that you didn't think we had much to say about for an hour. So. I know. I blame you. It's all your fault. <laughs> I know. I'm being. I'm being so contrary. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's see. I, I have even less to say. I imagine that I have even less to say about Triangle than I did about. Uh, into the woods but uh let's see if we can stretch this one out for an hour as well so triangle uh written <laughs> by have, jane i have fewer notes for this one too okay um, written by jane espenson so it it kind of hurts my heart a little bit that i don't love this episode more than i do oh see i i i don't think this is a great episode but i always enjoy watching it yeah it was fun it was it's fun. fun yeah it's a fun episode it's a filler episode which so it's it seems weird to me personally it seems uh uh inconsistent of me right now to say that i'm a, I'm a little bit bothered by just this filler episode uh when one of my recent complaints has been that the series seems to be getting away from filler episodes and yeah and, so and, what do you when you say a filler episode what do you mean um just that it was i it's more like the monster of the week episode this is so I, I realize I'm being uh, contradictory here uh, because I've recent, recently been saying I kind of miss the Monster of the Week episodes. Um, it feels like um, for most of its run, Buffy the Vampire Slayer has been able to have Monster of the Week episodes that seem like they're sort of one-offs, but they speak to the larger theme. And just by the nature of the show running as long as it has and the, the way that the writers are choosing to tell the stories in these later seasons, we've gotten away from Monster of the Week and it's become a much more heavily serialized storytelling format. Um, and... I ordinarily I love serialized storytelling, but I just kind of miss the the monster of the week stuff. And then here comes Triangle, which feels kind of like a monster of the week episode. Um, and my first thought is this feels weird and just sort of plunked down here in the middle for no reason. Yeah, I mean it does connect to the the overarching story, um, especially with the the hammer. Right, yeah, after it eventually will connect. Yeah, yeah, um, mm -hmm. which is going to show up again in Blood Ties when Spike picks tries to pick it up but can't. Um, and I'd, then of I course, had for I had forgotten about that. That's a whole uh, Thor thing before Joss got to write the Avengers. That's right. Um, and the other reason I I quite I asked you what you meant by fillers because I think it does important emotional work not for Buffy but for Anya and Willow. Yeah, yeah. Um, to kind of because this has been building right we get some of the bickering between anya and mm -hmm. willow in into the woods mm -hmm. um when they're have the christmas chicken feet sale right yeah um and i find that exhausting so i'm glad that it's, it's wrapped up in this episode I that's my one complaint about this episode is there are just too many scenes of, of willow and anya i bickering. think I don't know if I consciously felt this as I was watching the episode. Maybe, maybe I did. I'm not sure. But I think Jane has said in an interview that at the time when when she was writing this episode, that um, Joss was kind of pushing her to make the conflict between Willow and, and Anya more extreme. And Jane said that at the time she felt like that, excuse me, she felt like that was kind of coming out of nowhere. She didn't she herself had not noticed at that point that Anya mm -hmm. and, and Willow were, did I say Faith a minute ago? I may have said Faith instead of Willow. Anyways, uh, Willow and Anya um, weren't as like 
combatty as she thought Joss was telling her to make them. Uh, and she, she says now, of course, in hindsight, that that was absolutely the right move. But at the time, she thought it was a little bit like she felt it was a little extreme. And, yeah. And I feel like watching this episode, it, yeah, it is maybe a little bit like that. Like, yeah, sure, there's been some tension between the two of them, but it almost felt like either that had just faded away or maybe had even been kind of just dealt with. And now it's back with a vengeance. Right. Um, I will say this is a pretty good Xander episode. Oh, my. Um, All right. I only had one moment where I hated him. <laughs> okay. What, what was that moment? Um, when he makes the com- or it's in that opening conversation um, that he's having with Anya, and to be fair, Anya starts it where she says that maybe it's maybe it's her in reference to Buffy and uh-huh. Riley's, but then Xander says relationship debris is piling up on the Buffy highway, and I was like, hold on, just a second. <laughs> she's twenty years old. She's had two serious boyfriends. She's fine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and, and so. let's not forget that one of the, one of the burning wrecks on that uh, relationship highway, uh, Xander contributed heavily to. Right. So I was very angry with him at the start of this episode, yeah. but by the end, I think he, he, he gets out of the middle of the bickering, which is probably the best thing he could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought he showed, you know, he did a good job in this episode, for the, except for that one part. <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, let's see. What else did you like or dislike about this episode? We, we already referenced the Anya and Xander's pillow talk. Um, yeah. Where, where Anya says, if you ever do that to me, I hope there's a ticking clock that I can diffuse. Yeah. Oh, which is so tragic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. With the knowledge of what's coming for for them. Yeah. Um, because I, I know that you've you've had some issues with the way Anya is written. I've always really liked Anya. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't like when people are picking on her in the show. To um, just to clarify, just to clarify, I don't know. I don't want to contradict myself. I know you said myself. in some episodes you don't like the way she's written in certain episodes. Uh, I feel like yeah, that might be true. Mostly, I just have had never like fallen head over heels in love with Anya like so many had until Slay Edge. And when I heard that uh, paper presented and now I'm kind mm-hmm. of in love with Anya, but yeah. That's good. Yeah. Especially kind of the, um, so one of the things that I've written about is the way that demons are used as kind of a colonial other. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I might, I probably talked about that in the episode on pings, right? Yes. Yeah. We even get a hint of that in into the woods where they're going to Belize where demons are, um, are attacking missionaries, right? Breeding, so, breeding, yeah. Yeah, they're breed. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on in just that one line, um, but we get some of that in Triangle as well, where Willow is basically saying that Anya hasn't assimilated, right, mm-hmm. to uh, to white middle class American culture, cultural norms and discourses, the way that Willow would have liked her to. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway, I I always do have a, a soft spot for Anya, and I she does get picked on a lot um, by Xander and by the rest of the group. See, I wonder. I often wonder how much of this, uh, um, 
in later seasons, this stuff starts to become problematic. Like the fact that uh, Anya is always the butt of the joke or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of that, I feel like there's an uncomfortable transition that has to be made from the earlier seasons when the show was, it was, this show was never meant to be all jokes. Like it, it always had something to say, but it leaned more heavily on the, the quips and the humor and the, the sarcasm and the insults and that kind of stuff early on, Mm -hmm. like when Anya was first introduced. So all that stuff was played for laughs. And as the show shifts more into drama, uh, that is more into a drama that is being supported with humor. (laughs) Um, and, that treatment of Anya just continues, then it becomes, we start to get uncomfortable with it. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I also, so I loved the scene between Buffy and Dawn. Yes. I, I am so in love with any, any of like the bonding scenes between those two. I, I, so I know that you've talked about the fact that Dawn is a hateable and hated character. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't disagree about that, but I, I've always had a soft spot for Dawn. Thank you. Um, I, I tend to be drawn to and protective of teenage girl characters. I'm a, I'm a huge Sansa Stark stan um, <laughs> for that reason, too, um, because it's very easy, I think, to hate teenage girls. And I think a lot of the internet spends a lot of time hating teenage girls and the things that teenage girls like. Um, And as a former teenage girl, (laughs) I, I don't know. I feel very like protective of them. So I've never had the problem with Dawn that so many people do. Um, But that scene with her and Buffy was just so lovely and, you know, Dawn's insight, like Dawn's insight into the relationship um, between her sister and Riley and kind of, and, and her sister's grief. And I don't know. the Stop what? being insightful. It's creepy. Yeah. And Dawn is insightful, right? Dawn's yeah. the one who tells Buffy uh, in Crush that Spike's in love with her. Right. Right. So she is insightful. She does see things. And then, I don't know. The, Watching that scene, it also really feels like they could be talking. I mean, they're talking about the breakup, but they they could be talking about Joyce's death too, mm-hmm. which we yeah. know is coming up, right? About it being sudden, um, though maybe they should have seen it coming. About grief and things getting better, um, you know, little by little, day by day. Yeah. So it was, it was just I thought a really beautiful scene. <laughs> yeah, the the foreshadowing certainly adds a layer of of gravitas to that but mostly i just i I love seeing this new kind of loving relationship this bond between the sisters i i there was so much i to clarify if anyone listening is listening for the first time i have also always been a dawn fan i defend dawn the way i defend riley uh against very similar uh fan backlash so uh i'm i'm pleased that you, Jessica, are also a Dawn fan, but um, well, I'm glad we can be on the same side about something. Other than Spike, yeah, yeah. Um, but even I was annoyed by uh, the way Dawn was written in the early episodes of season five because she was written to be annoying. Right. <laughs> she was. Yeah. The writers went out of their way to make her the annoying little sister, um, yeah. and 
and they wrote Buffy to they went out of their way to write Buffy as the annoyed older sister uh, and so I just I'm really really fond of these two characters coming together and I know I think from this point on it gets it's weird to use the word realistic in this context but moving forward I think we shift into a more realistic sibling kind of you annoy me I also love you thing yeah. it becomes a little yeah. less cartoonish like it was at the beginning of the season yeah no I, I like Don so speaking of cartoonish um Buffy's breakdown <laughs> over oh my goodness. the impermanence yeah. of uh, Xander and Anya's relationship yes um I don't still don't know how I feel about that scene about what whether I like which is weird I don't know if I like it or not um, I always feel uncomfortable and embarrassed for Buffy when I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. But I think that Sarah Michelle Geller does such a funny job with it. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I, it, I was uncomfortable, uncomfortable with it just because it was so awkward. And, yeah, and... no, that's how I feel like my, my, you know, in my, in my gut, I'm like, oh, is that, that embarrassment empathy? Yeah. Because uh, it is very embarrassing. Plus, she has very silly hair in that scene. <laughs> I don't remember her hair in that scene. She's got the like the two pigtails, but they're like looped. Oh, yeah. I, I don't remember that. I wonder if that was what. I I don't remember that. I wonder if if that was meant to visually code her as younger and more innocent. Maybe. Yeah, it's it's an interesting hair choice that is not repeated. I don't think very often. Um, I'm sure uh, an aspect of my emotional reaction to Buffy's breakdown that did not affect you in any way is there was a part of me that was like, oh, this is the show totally turning the Buffy Riley break up, break up into a complete joke. This is the show saying that was so preposterous. It's so it's so ridiculous that there are fans that are upset that Buffy and Riley have broken up, which now that I'm saying this out loud, Probably nobody was thinking. I'm sure no one in the writer's room was like, why are the fans so upset that they broke up? Because <laughs> I don't right. think anybody but me was. But, well, and also, I mean, the scene between Buffy and Don takes the breakup seriously. Ser- very seriously. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, should we talk about Spike in this episode? <laughs> we, we should talk about Spike, Spike in every episode. Yeah, Spike is one of my favorite things. So him practicing his apology yeah. to Buffy with the box of chocolates that'll show up again in blood ties when he comes to the house. Is it the same box? All damaged it's the and same everything? Box. That's beautiful. Yeah, because Don makes a, co- a comment about like that he's got this. I forget what she exactly says, but she, the, the, the box is battered. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um and it also like foreshadows what their relationship will eventually be, which is a lot of fighting. Right. Uh, some bri- like, some brief, yeah. some brief, sweet, loving moments uh, punctuated by a lot of violence. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and then we also get the continued Spike's other great love, uh, which is bar food. <laughs> yeah, this is the first Bloomin' Onion reference, isn't it? Yes. So we had Chicken Wings uh-huh. uh, in Fool for Love, uh-huh. where he demands that Buffy order him a plate of spicy buffalo wings. He even he does he, he makes it married on an empty stomach. Yeah, he makes a callback to the chicken wings in this or the last episode, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
And then he, then yes, we get the, the blooming onion, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which he will reference again in Crush when he complains that the flowering onion got remodeled off the bleeding menu. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and then again in Empty Places, when it's the great Spike and Andrew Roadshow. Oh, man, yeah. And he talks to Andrew about it. So this is a, a ongoing love affair that he has <laughs> with greasy bar food. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And now I'm... Now I'm craving, it's uh, 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm craving a blooming onion. So, <laughs> um, And then, yeah, his interactions with Xander, mm-hmm. where he's not being super finessed, uh, unlike, <laughs> un- unlike Anya, who has finesse coming out of her bottle. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, you know, he's not being quite as inconspicuous probably as he's hoping to be in his conversation with Xander. Luckily Xander's upset enough that he doesn't notice. Right. Um, um, another great thing that we get from Spike here is uh, again, it's, it's great because, well, it's great in the moment cause it's funny, but it's also great because it's foreshadowing is the, the whole, he's helping make the the victims of Olaf's attack comfortable. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'd like you to notice I'm not taking not even a sip. No, no taste for spike or something like that. Um, yeah. And she's like, you want credit for not feeding off of helpless disaster victims. Um, right. So that is an example. This was a debate. I, I will say politely a debate that I had with fans at the time, repeatedly ad nauseum, uh, people would take a scene like that and say, see, there's proof. He's only doing this because he's only doing good things because he thinks it'll get it, get him into Buffy's pants. And my argument was that's how it starts. Um, Yes. And, and, but it, he grows like, this is a, this is a, an arc that he's on. Like, this is not just two points that bump right up against each other. He has a journey to go on and we will see him in future episodes. He continues to help people. He continues to uh, provide aid to injured people when there's no one around to see it. So like, right. Or in season six, when Buffy's dead, right. right? So he's taking care of Dawn Mm -hmm. without any hope of, he doesn't know what Willow, he doesn't even know what Willow's planning. Afterlife. Afterlife is one of my all time favorite episodes specifically for, some of the lines that spike gets talking about what right. it was like for him after Buffy died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we also get spike being pretty evil in this episode too. Um, you know, first when Xander suggests that spike could fight the troll and he <laughs> says that he's paralyzed with not caring until right. Buffy shows up and then he hops into the, the right. fright to impress her. Right. Um, but then we get one of my favorite line readings on Buffy of all time, which is when the troll is demanding ale and babies. <laughs> and Spike turns to Xander and says, well, what do you, what do you think the hospital? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, like he's giving a restaurant recommendation. It yeah. is perfection. I love it. Yeah, I agree. Um, so he has no problem sending Olaf the troll to the hospital <laughs> to devour babies. Yeah. Um, and the moment where he says hello to Buffy is also, I think, really 
well done and funny because he's so intense about it. Um, but she's just confused. It's it cracks me up every time. Yeah. Um, did you notice that during the tussle with Olaf, he grabs her boob? Who Olaf does? No, Spike does. I I did not notice that. Yeah. I, is that is that when she's struggling to get up and and he yeah. it looks yeah, like he's, he's just holding on to her. Yeah. I, so he I, continues to be a creep. I missed the grope. Do you, <laughs> do you think that was intentional or was that just them fumbling around? Uh, I mean, I have no idea. But it, if it wasn't intentional, it still works, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, so, man... Uh, I've said before, I just love every scene that Spike is in. Spike brightens every episode that he's in. But he sure does, um, yeah. And and I, I'm a fan of the actor uh, who played Olaf Abraham Ben Ruby. He's been in a million million things. Like he mm-hmm. had a recurring role in ER. Uh, he's just you might not recognize him under the makeup, but trust me, people, you know who Abraham Ben Ruby is. Um, and the the Olaf the troll is is fun. Like he's a fun character and. He spoiler alert, he does come back in a future episode. Yes, we'll um, see him in selfless in season seven. But he he comes he walks a line. Um and, and this is my own struggle to keep up with sort of the shifting narrative dynamic of the series where it, it goes from we can go from season one, season one and two where we had a, a giant praying mantis teacher. Um, and that was perfectly acceptable. It was a bad episode, but in terms of monster of the week, I mean, we accepted it. Um, and Olaf is not nearly as goofy and cartoonish as a, a praying mantis teacher. But at this point in the narrative, I'm like, he he's he walks right up to the line of being kind of just overly goofy. Mm-hmm. So, and that that's another thing. That's another reason why I kind of think of Triangle as just sort of a a filler episode where the the monster of the week is I mean, the monster of the week is often a MacGuffin, but in this case he kind of really is a MacGuffin. The only reason there even is a monster of the week is so that there's a reason for Willow and Anya to stop fighting and work together. But even that is kind of iffy, <laughs> I guess. So, on the one hand I love Olaf, on the other hand I was like, "Oh, this is just silly." Yeah, I don't mind him. I think it's a I think that it's a good breather episode. Mm-hmm. Um after the kind of emotionally heavy into the woods. Mm-hmm. Um and then we get checkpoint and then you know which is continuing with the the series arc um with the arrival of the Watchers Council who Giles mentions going to see. He really should. He really should have known better. What? (laughs) He really should have known better. Yeah, he should have. Stop involving them. I know they're kind of the worst. Um, and then and then blood ties, right? Which is a really heavy. Which I'm looking forward to. Heavy episode. So I think it does give us a little bit of a, a moment to exhale and and catch our breath. Um, before we continue. Now I'm looking at the original air dates and there was, uh, so into the woods originally aired December 19th, 2000. And this one triangle didn't show up until January 9th, 2001. So there were, I mean, we had the, the Christmas break, I guess, but there were a few weeks. 
Okay. Between episodes. So uh, I, for the thousandth time, I don't remember what it was like for me watching it on its original run, but I have to imagine that um, this was, I, I, I was going to say this was a weird comeback to, to go out on into the woods and then have mm-hmm. a, a, a few weeks off and then come back to this. But I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just, this was a fun reintroduction back into the series before we start getting dark again. Yeah. Like I said, I always enjoy watching it. Um, although I don't think it's a great episode. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, should there, we, there... Oh, go ahead. So should we talk about the, the resolution of Anya and Will? I mean, we've kind of talked around it. Um, sure. But that scene where they kind of get off their chest, why, why the animosity exists between them. About who's going to hurt Xander? Who's going to hurt Xander. Sure. Yeah. And then also some of Anya's anxiety that Willow is going to try to take Xander away from her. Mm-hmm. Um, which Willow has that line, you know, gay now. Hello, gay uh, now. Yeah. yeah, which is somewhat controversial because of the bi erasure. Yeah, I was going to, I wanted to bring that up, but then I was like, this is 2001. I don't think uh, that was part of the narrative at the time. Like, I I don't remember that being a discussion people were having. Yeah, no, it absolutely, well, I shouldn't say absolutely wasn't, but I don't think it was. Yeah. Um, but now I think it is relevant to mm-hmm. just point it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and then, so... I said earlier that I thought Xander came off well in this episode, and part of that um, is because of the the kind of insane troll logic. <laughs> um, nice. Where he's he's at, where Olaf demands that Xander choose between Anya and Willow, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get kind of like a, the wisdom of King Solomon, right? Where. <laughs> Where Anya offers to sacrifice herself to save Xander. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know why I was expecting you to have, I, I thought there was going to be a problem in there somewhere, but it sounds like you were, you were down with all that, right? I was, yeah. Okay. I I mean, like I said, the bickering between Anya and um, Willow got to be a bit much for me. And I found myself largely well they're both really annoying yeah (laughs) i was gonna say i found myself largely on anya's side um because i did think that will as much as i love willow and as much as we all love willow i thought she was being a little insufferable in this episode i agree um but anya was also super annoying (laughs) right so i think i'm with xander and tara and just wanting to leave the two of them (laughs) the the willow thing um again this comes with foreknowledge of the of the series um that's still ahead of us um willow has always been um you know the the shy introverted uh awkward geek girl or whatever who's trying to find her place and it's been adorable and cute and funny at turns um now we're starting to see uh hints of where her larger story is about to start going mm-hmm. and it's really it's really kind of uncomfortable so episodes like this one where 
probably on first viewing i thought willow was funny and adorable and cute and totally in character with the way she i don't know i i'm i'm sure in the moment it felt believable and in character and now i'm just really it's harder and harder for me to kind of feel like willow's quirks are cute anymore and it's i think it's entirely because i know where it's going and right. and her quirks are not going to be cute forever <laughs> Yeah. Um, so in the, the scene where Willow was comparing um, Anya to the fish from the cat in the hat, uh-huh. and then she tries to get Anya to relent by promising to teach her magic. Right. And Anya says, oh, oh, I know what this is. It's peer pressure. Any second now you're going to make me smoke tobacco and have drugs. <laughs> yes. um, it's interesting that she jumps to drugs, right, given the somewhat tragic uh metaphor of season six somewhat by somewhat tragic do you mean the metaphor that is hammered into our damn skulls repeatedly throughout the all of season six yes that would be the metaphor okay the metaphor that is not metaphorical yeah um yeah um so i mean i thought that that was interesting right that we're jumping right to to drugs Oh, that was another cute, cute Xander. See, I have another cute Xander moment. I was really feeling good about him this episode. Bring it on. Um, When he shows up and he greets his two favorite girls and then he says three favorite girls to include Tara. Oh, yeah. Which would have been nice if he did it from the start. But but points, you know, know, after family, we see Tara being more integrated into the group. She... It's nice that we had a conversation between Tara and Buffy. Her, was, yeah, her and Buffy at school. That was really nice. Yeah, I always, I always like those. Um, so. Um, let's see. Some some fun stuff is the the repeatedly disintegrated cash register. That was yes. That was kind of funny. She endang- and the money. Don't forget about endang- the money. She endangered the money. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. There, there was, I mean, there was fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, oh, some great lines. Her. One of my favorite was when Willow is trying to cast a spell and Anya keeps interrupting uh-huh. and Willow says, well, he's not a ball of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was a great moment. That was cute. Um, yeah, there's, I, like I said, I have a lot of fondness for this episode. Why, um, why would Olaf know her as Anyanka and not... Now, I, I I know the answer to this, because at this point, I don't think the show had told us what Anya's real human name was. Um, but she does have a real human name, and presumably that's the name she would have gone by when she was with Olaf. Mm-hmm. So why does he call her Anyanka? Uh, I think because the show doesn't know what her okay. name is. <laughs> it's just as simple as that. It's just... Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it, so it is interesting that we get her kind of origin story as a vengeance demon, mm-hmm. um, which again, we'll see more of in Selfless. We get the land of, um, so he's sent to the land of the trolls. Maybe. Maybe. And we get another callback to the world without shrimp. <laughs> which uh, that's the second or third of three or four references that yeah. that dimension gets across the series. Yeah, it's a callback to Superstar, right? Right. I think that's yeah. where we first learn about the world without shrimp. Yeah. I think that I think that gets a shout out on Angel too. I think uh, Illyria maybe 
references <laughs> the a world without shrimp at some point over on Angel. But um, that's way so, in the future. We're not there yet. Yeah, I'm looking through my notes, and I, I, I said I didn't have as much to say about about this. Oh, um, so we have the Buffy at the convent. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, the the line do you have to be like super religious to <laughs> yeah. make me laugh. And it is cute that Buffy tried on a wimple. Uh-huh. Um, but that was very silly. <laughs> but that was fun. That it was fun. fun. It was fun. Uh Again, it sometimes the show does those fake ads where you you know you see the nun from behind with just a with the blonde hair with the blonde curl. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was silly. I can't remember that actress's name. I looked it up because um, she she looked familiar, and there's no reason why she should because she does have a long and storied Hollywood career, but it's as a voice actor and uh, a voice cast director. Mm-hmm. So the woman that played that nun. That might that was one of her very few acting roles, but uh, yeah. Oh, the um, so the scene in the car. Oh yeah, in Giles's midlife crisis mobile. Uh huh. Um, with Anya driving, and I haven't seen Restless in a while, but I presume you just watched it recently. Yeah. Isn't there a moment in Restless where she's driving using her her hands? Yeah, she. Right, uh, that was stupid. Of course, you drive to use your hands, but her hands weren't on the wheel. <laughs> yes, yes. In in one of in Xander's dream sequence, uh, they're in the ice cream truck, and she's like, uh, "I think I figured this out. I, I fi- figured out how to drive by by wildly gesturing or whatever." Right. And so she's just waving her hands back and forth. Um, yeah, there's that, but I can't mm, I can't remember all the examples, but I know some people have raised questions of the continuity of Anya still not knowing how to drive. I think it was back in graduation day, maybe. Oh, that's right. She says that she's driving. Yeah, right? her, she's... she's like, let's go. My car is right outside. So clearly she's owned a car at one point. So presumably she at least sort of knew how to drive at one point, And yet here she is still talking about, oh, I just figured out what this pedal does. Yeah. That's, um, I, I hadn't remembered that moment in graduation day. Yeah. But... I guess that's, you You know, you can forget how to drive. <laughs> sure, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, She's got other stuff on her mind. Yeah, I mean, she the has whole, a lot on her mind. The whole right? being human so. thing. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I, I, I have exhausted. I'm out of things to say. What's that? I, th- I think I'm out of things yeah. to say. Yeah, I have exhausted my notes. So I'm impressed with how much we got out of these, especially... Um, bless you, especially into the woods and how much we worked into, uh, into the woods. I think we were also very civil. (laughs) No, it was great. It was great. It's, uh, I, I love having guests with controversial opinions, even when those controversial opinions are controversial to me. (laughs) Right. Well, you know, like I said, I, I struggle with Riley. Uh Um, and I, I do feel like when, you know, 2001, he was, he probably came out, he came off as a much better guy. Right. Um, but looking at it through 2019 jaded (laughs) lenses, um, I have a hard time kind of stomaching. Yeah. And that's, that's been, 
And that's been the discovery on this rewatch as I do this podcast is there's so much stuff that used to be really cool that now is like uh, a little uncomfortable making. And uh, I mean, it is what it is. These things that we love, time moves on and the things that we love don't necessarily move on. So. Right, right. And, and you know, kind of like understanding that Spike is a problematic man, mm-hmm. but loving him anyway, you just have to kind of hold those two things right. in your brain at the same time. Yes. Well, some of us do. Some of us have to hold that in our brains. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being back. Um, I, I've gotten better at checking my guest calendar uh, when I actually have the guests on mic now. So I was just looking to see if you had signed up for anything. I don't have you signed up. I don't show you signed up for anything in, at all in Buffy going forward. The next time I see your name on my list is all the way into season one of Angel. Yes, some terrible Angel episodes. Yeah, possibly the worst <laughs> episode of any uh, Joss Whedon show. Um, yeah, I'm super excited to talk about it. <laughs> so that that is way off in the future. I, I will just say that uh, you are welcome back anytime. I have, um, I have an episode coming up in the the near future of the Buffy discussion uh, with a guest who I I've loved this guest, but I have not been able to get in touch with them. I've had to reschedule. Like I've, I've had to change guests multiple times because I just can't get back in touch with this person. And so I'm going to continue to try and make and reach this, this guest that signed up. But um, if past is prologue, that may not happen. And so I will possibly be reaching out to you. Sure. If you, if you ever need a pinch hitter. Okay. (laughs) I'm happy to, happy to step up to the plate. Oh, that was a good baseball metaphor. Usually those fall apart when I try to make them. (laughs) I know nothing about baseball, so I'll, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) I know the barest minimum. uh, All right. Well, thank you again. Um, uh, One more time. Tell us the name of the book in which your chapter is appearing in October. Sure, it's going to be in Fan Phenomena, Harry Potter. And the type, should I do the whole chapter title too? Sure, yeah, give us the whole thing. Okay, it's Buffy, Hamilton, and Jon Snow go to Hogwarts, Literary Affordance, and the Hogwarts Hogwarts Houses as an interpretive frameworks and rhetorical tools. <laughs> my goodness. Oh my goodness. I know. That's intense. Okay, so uh, due out in October, I'll try and get a link from you or I'll, I'll be on the lookout for a link and I'll, I'll include it in the show notes and I'll add it to the my, my library list so I can reference it in the future. Uh, in the meantime, how can uh, how can our listeners find you at home? No, uh, well, that's, that, I am that's, not... Hang on, let me correct that. I, I misspoke. I don't want our listeners to find you at home. Yeah, I want please, the, listeners, don't show up in my bedroom. I, I would like the people at <laughs> home to find you online. How about that? Um, so I am on Twitter um, at jessica.houch. Uh, though I haven't been posting very much because I'm reading for exams right now. So that's mostly what my life has been, um, is getting through way too many books. Not enough Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If I had to take an exam, an oral exam on Buffy, I think I could pass it tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, but but unfortunately that's not how this PhD program works. Uh, more's the pity. Maybe, maybe someday. (laughs) Maybe someday. <laughs> um, so, but I will try to, you know, post some stuff on Twitter eventually. All right, cool. All right. 
Um, so thank you again for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always a delight. Yeah. And uh, thank you all at home for listening and for not stalking Jessica. Please don't track her down at home. Uh, yeah. uh, don't ever listen to what I say. <laughs> I, I miss it. Uh, you can find links to this in all of our past episodes at the website conswithdead.com. Um, or you can subscribe to the show on iTunes while you're there. Please rate us or write us a review. Uh, that really helps to spread the word. Uh, if you've got questions for me or any of my guests, or if you'd just like to share your thoughts on anything that we've discussed, please join the conversation. Uh, you can drop us an email at conswithdead at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at conswithdead, or reach out to us on the Facebook group, Conversations with Conversations with Dead People. I say that at the end of, at the end of every episode, and <laughs> I forgot that that is a closed Facebook group. So um, Conversations with Dead People is on Facebook. Anybody can find it and follow that account. The The group Conversations with Conversations with Dead People is closed, but just ask me to invite you. Like, if you're a fan, just, just ask for an invite and I'll give you an invite. We're not that uh, insular. <sighs> Anyways, so next week, um, I think Johnny Ho will be rejoining me. Uh, he's on the list, but I haven't confirmed with him. So um, I will try to confirm. But uh, whoever it is that's joining me next week, we're going to be talking about episodes 512, Checkpoint, and 513, Blood Ties. I'm really looking forward to Blood Ties. Until then, Gur Arg, everybody. Gur Arg. If you want to leave, I won't